This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Recently, President Biden announced that the United States had reached the 70% plateau of people getting at least one dose of the vaccine to protect them from the coronavirus. Still, there's a long way to go to reach the levels we need to see. And with so many people still unvaccinated, what are the best ways to try and increase those numbers? And can you actually nudge people with a text message reminder that might move them to get a vaccination, whether it be here in this time of COVID-19 or just in general thinking about flu vaccines. Mitesh Patel is an associate professor of healthcare management at the Wharton School and director of the Penn Medicine Nudge Unit, which is the world's first behavioral design team embedded within a health system. Mitesh, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for a few moments. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So the larger look here is in part research that you and a, and a, a large group had done looking at the impact of, of kind of giving people a nudge to see if that would help improve vaccinations. Tell us more about this. That's right. Well, so nudges are uh, subtle changes to the design of information or the way we offer choices to people, but they can have a huge impact. What we did was we partnered with the Behavior Change for Good team, led by Katie Milkman and Angela Duckworth from, from Morton, and we designed what's called a mega study, where instead of your typical approach where you test one or two different uh, text messages against each other, we crowdsourced ideas from leading behavioral scientists around the world and actually got 19 that we could test head-to-head at two large health systems, Penn Medicine and Geisinger. So tell us, what were these types of messages that were being sent out? So we tested a wide range of things. So there were some simple and straightforward ones that told people to get the flu shot to protect them against. Uh, so we tested this uh, in the flu season right before COVID uh, vaccine was available. And so everything here is for the flu, but could be used for COVID vaccination. Mm-hmm. We told people, you know, just protect yourself. Um, we gave people reminders, but there was also more creative things like telling people a joke about not spreading the flu uh, texting back the initials of a family member or friend that you want to dedicate it to, or watching a video and answering some questions about why you might want to get the vaccine to prevent the illness. And the results you, you found were what? So the results were really interesting. It turned out that um, the most one of the most simple, straightforward messages worked the best. And that was, instead of telling people that the vaccine was available for them, we said it was reserved for you. Uh, And the ones that were more telling a joke or creative actually didn't work as well. And this reserve for you text message had about an 11 percent boost in vaccination. What was the age group that that you uh, ended up having in this study? Was it more so leaning towards younger demographic or was it a fairly uh, good mix across the board? So there were about 75,000 patients in this study from Penn Medicine and Geisinger, and it was a wide range. We, en- we enrolled people aged 18 and up. So we had about 15 to 20,000 were elderly over the age of 65, and the rest were under the age of 65. I ask that because I think at times people of different generations react differently to text messages. That's right. You know, everybody has kind of a preferred channel. And we often think that people who are less tech savvy may be less inclined to use some of these digital things. But, you know, more and more people aren't answering the phone and um, a text message is really pushed you really quick and simple. And it might be a way that uh, might reach a broader audience than the current messages are used. But, you know, it is important to think about what's the best channel 
the fit for the right person? And, and could the message, now that we understand what language works the best, actually be deployed through multiple channels to reach people with, where it's best for them? This would also seem to be playing on a little bit uh, the larger issue around health care costs, if I read it correctly, because the, the method of using the text message is a fairly low-cost message to try and get the outcome that you're looking for, correct? That's right. I mean, sending a text message costs essentially fractions of a penny. And what's really interesting is that before the COVID pandemic, most health systems didn't really have the infrastructure to text patients, and they weren't doing it that often. But because the COVID-19 pandemic has really accelerated the use of new technologies to, to help advance patient care, many health systems now have this infrastructure. So it's not a huge upfront cost because it's already there. And it's something that they can leverage for the COVID-19 vaccine and other types of healthcare um, interventions in the future. We're joined by Mitesh Patel of uh, the Wharton School, also uh, director of the Penn Medicine Nudge Unit. What do you think are the most important takeaways from doing this research, especially in the scope of where we are right now with the coronavirus and the Delta variant and and trying to get even more people uh, vaccinated at this point? I think the most important takeaway is that the, the way that we communicate the vaccine to people is going to have a huge impact on whether or not they're going to be motivated to go through and get it. And that really subtle changes, you know, like the example I gave of changing available to reserve for you, can have a big impact. And that now we, that we have the evidence on what works and what doesn't, we can actually leverage this to help motivate more people to get vaccinated quickly. I, I think that the, the, the trick or, or maybe a little bit of a hook here will be kind of the discussion that we've obviously seen in the media and in the public around COVID vaccines in comparison to flu vaccines. It's a, it's a much different dynamic that we're dealing with here. That's definitely true. And interestingly, um, some of the folks that participated in this flu vaccine megatrial, um, Heng Chen Dai, Sylvia Sicato, and, and Daniel Kroymans out of UCLA and Carnegie Mellon, launched a large study at UCLA, UCLA Health that just came out this week. 93,000 patients. They used a, a similar concept of what they call psychological ownership, telling people the vaccine is theirs and they should claim it. And it actually produced a very similar result in that compared to just a reminder, it worked for COVID vaccination as well. Now, that was done earlier in the pandemic, and we've now got people who are more hesitant that remain unvaccinated. And so we might need to think about other ways to increase motivation or make it easy for them to get the vaccine uh, to help drive the, this last cohort of folks that's either vaccine-hesitant or vaccine-apathetic. It, it, it is interesting because of the fact that we have seen, as you alluded to, a, a large shift in the healthcare industry over the last decade or so with more technology being included in the entire process. And, and obviously, as a culture, we are a very digital one to begin with. So I guess the, the longer-term view is here that uh, the more digital we become, the more opportunity you have through those methods to be able to connect with the patient, with the consumer. That's right. You know, individuals every day are essentially glued to their phones. They carry them everywhere that they go. They don't leave home without them. This gives us kind of insight into what they're doing because we can actually track how they're engaging with their healthcare portals or platforms. But it also gives us a window and an, an opportunity to be able to then change the interface, the architecture, the communications through those digital platforms in ways that are aligned with the patient's goals. Mitesh Patel of the Wharton School uh, and also Penn Medicine uh, joining us here right now. I think it becomes extremely important to see 
what the next step in, in the process is for you and, and the researchers, because here we are right now. I mentioned the numbers from from President Biden that he talked about the other day, but we still have a long way to go to be able to truly say that we have uh, you know reached the herd immunity. I know we're we're at that number right now, but we still have a lot of people in different generations uh, that have not gotten the vaccination at this point. Yeah, I think there's a lot of um, efforts going on to try to get to this last group. You know, some of my colleagues at Penn Medicine are working on ways to be able to reach people in um, uh, lower income communities and, and use ambassadors. Um, a lot of health systems have uh, implemented mandates for um, health system workers to be able to get the vaccination, um, given such the urgent public health need and the fact that we ought, we've done that for flu vaccination. That's really a way to um, be a bit more aggressive. You've seen some cities and locations come out with these goals around thinking about how we can get, you know, require proof of vaccination to yeah. go to restaurants or attend concerts. And so there's a lot of things moving forward. And I think one important thing from a research perspective will be to kind of understand and evaluate these things as they happen so that we can learn in real time and be able to quickly deploy those, the ones that work more broadly, and then recognize when certain things don't work so that we stop propagating them. All right, Mitesh, thanks very much for your time. Wish you all the best, and uh, we will talk to you again in the near future. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mitesh Patel, Associate Professor of Healthcare Management at the Wharton School and also Director of the Penn Medicine Nudge Unit. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.